Genesis 2.15-25, and this is the creation of man and the assignment he was given. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the Lord that God had taken from the man he made into a woman had brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his life, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. You know, I've gotten a lot of comments about my shirt today. I'm very excited about this. I walked in and a couple of people have complimented my shirt. I think it, it is an analysis of how uh, threadbare and... Uh, Professor-like, I look in my other uh, decrepit clothes. I don't know, but I got these shirts from LLV. You know, they come up with this new thing, trim fit. Okay, where they're kind of here, you know. And I kind of have wide shoulders, but I'm a little thin here. And so I used to get the shirt, and they would sort of billow out, you know. Like if it was windy, I'd get on a skateboard, and you know, it could float me on down. Well, now there's a trim fit. Okay, so I. I'm feeling trim, I'm feeling fit, you're going to get a good sermon, okay, because I'm ready in my shirt. You know, we're all about design, right? we got designer clothes, we got designer cars, you know, we've got design all around us, architectural design. We love good design. Now, we have seen some bad design as well. Anyone remember the Hindenburg? Bad design. Healthcare.gov? Sorry. Okay. Let's keep going. Bad design. There's good design and there's bad design. There's even misdesign. You know, have you ever used something for the wrong purpose? I walked out one day and my kids are playing golf. I'm like, what are they playing golf with? Well, they've got one of our long sprinklers, you know, that has the head that you water to turn this thing around and they're, they're slugging it. Needless to say, my sprinkler didn't last long. God is the God of design. Ever seen a hummingbird? It's amazing, they can, they can flap their wings 80 times a second. And they are the only bird that can fly backwards. And they have these long beaks. They have been designed in such a way that they're able, like a bee, to get their nose in and to stay stationary so they can get this nectar out. What a design. I heard this about an egg. This is fascinating, we eat them all the time. Listen about an egg. When a chicken lays an egg, the mother warms the eggs with her body. She sits lightly on them so as not to squash them, covering her eggs. Sometimes she'll pluck feathers from her body and put them around the egg to make sure that they are warm. And since the eggs that lie in the center of the nest are the warmest, she will carefully rotate her eggs, making sure they all get uniform warmness. 
Now it gets even better. An egg has an inner membrane and it has an outer membrane. And in the inner membrane is the chick, very much like a placenta, right? And getting everything it needs. But there's also, between this inner membrane and outer membrane, there's an air cell. That's why the egg is shaped uh, differently. You know, if you ever, like, uh, boil an egg and it comes out and it's got this little indentation on the top, that's where the air cell is. And the reason there's an air cell is when this little chick finally breaks the placenta, it doesn't have any air. And so God has designed it so there's just enough air in this pocket for it to breathe while it pecks it's uh, out of the shell and is free. And when it's done, there's nothing left. It's just the chick and the egg. Amazing design. God is the great designer. And if so, what is God designing when he came up with the idea called marriage? You know, think about it. One of the most foundational pieces of society in the world is marriage. If God put design into a hummingbird, and he put design into an egg, what did he design marriage for? See, it's only when we understand the design of marriage that we can understand God. And it's only when we just understand God that we can understand marriage. See, the truth about marriage and singleness is that we have been designed for a purpose. If we don't understand what that purpose is, we will either overemphasize it or underemphasize it. If we'll be married, we may not want to be married. If we're single, we may want to be single. Maybe when we're not even supposed to. But the design reveals the divine. Hear this, this is important. Marriage is much bigger than you. And singleness is much bigger than you. It's a mirror destined to show the majesty of God. It's a mere design to show the majesty of God. It's a shadow of a greater reality. And when you get our eyes off of ourselves and we look at God, then we can see the majesty of marriage and we can praise our Creator. Well, we need to unpack that a little bit. We're going to look at three things. Number one, marriage is God's doing. God is the one that came up with this idea. So if you've got a problem with it, you can blame Him. Number two, God's design. Marriage is God's design. And then finally, number three, marriage is God's display. It's His doing, His design for His display. Let's unpack this. Number one, marriage is God's doing. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing. And then in 2.7 it said, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living creature. And he planted him in a garden in Eden. He put him in a garden in Eden and put that man there uh, to work the ground. So we see this picture here of this one who was made, this image of God. You know, I think if we saw Adam, we would fall down and worship him. Because he was sinless. He was perfect. He was fantastic, and he was given this mandate to take, uh, to give dominion, take dominion over the earth, to cultivate it, to create it, to make it into something beautiful. But as man begins to do this, God sees a need. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now notice, it wasn't man that perceived this need. 
fact, we don't see anything of man saying, time out, having a hard time here. It was God who saw the need. See, marriage was in the mind of God before it was in the mind of us. See, it's not like, you know, Adam walked into a bar or something and saw Eve and went, Adam, I'm Adam, how you doing? No, he was, he was busy doing what he was supposed to. Marriage was in the idea of God. God gives the mandate and God sees the need. And so God creates woman. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast. And so these beasts were paraded before God uh, for man, and man gave a name to each one of them. You know, we kind of have this picture, you know, of man and woman, the original man and woman. It's kind of naive, you know, they kind of run around with a fig leaf or whatever. And yet we see that biblically, this man, this woman, had intellect. They had intelligence. They had, they had brilliance to them. Now, some of you may go, you know, this is, this is a story. I don't know about this thing. It's like fable. Do you know, has anyone ever heard of mitochondrial Eve? Yes. Mitochondrial is very, very fascinating. If you look up chromosomal atom, mitochondrial Eve, you see in the mitochondria of a woman, there is no mix of DNA. It's just the woman's DNA that is passed on again and again and again and again. And literally, they can trace its development as it goes around the world. You know what they've discovered? that all women are descended from a group, apparently, of around 20 women in Northeast Africa. They say it's anywhere from 50, I bet it's one. I bet it, what do you think? What are the odds, huh? All of us genetically, it's the same thing with man. They all came from one place. These people, Adam and Eve, now we know that the world was plunged into darkness, but God is doing something with these people. God makes a helper fit. For him, So no one can be found for Adam. So God causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he takes this rib. And what does he do? He brings her to the man. Notice he brings her to the man. You know, I have a neat position, you know, not only the hard stuff like funerals, but also weddings. It's really neat because I get to stand up there, and the music starts, and everyone stands up, and guess what? If every woman... If she, if she had her brothers, wants to be what? Given away by her father. Will you give me away? And the father comes down the aisle with the bride on her side. And I ask the question, who gives this woman to be married? You know, her mother and I. It's the father that gives away the bride. See, God was the first father. He walked her down the aisle and gave her away. God created the woman, God brings her to the man, and the man receives her. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. In fact, the word Adam, which means ground, has been used for Adam's name, but it's changed here for the first time. It says, he shall be, she shall be called Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. She shall be called woman. Man's relation is to woman, and woman's relation is to man. They are joint in a sense. And the man does what? He names her. One of the things I do at the end almost always. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Alex Kassir. He, She takes his name. See, she's been given to him. And what do I say? Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no man put asunder. See, people, I don't know if you've been tracking this. You know, right now, uh, same-sex marriage 
You know, there may come a time when the state literally says to me, you have to perform same-sex marriages. And do you know why I'm not going to do it? Because I can't. It's God who marries people. See, when someone comes to me and says, will you, will you marry us? I say, no. But I'll perform the ceremony. It's God who marries people. And so when you see in a ceremony, what I will do is when the woman comes from the Father, she'll give her hand to me, and I will put the hand in his hand. Put her hand. And when the rings come, the rings will come to me, and I will give them to be put on the person's finger. See, marriage is from God. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this, As you gave the ring to one another, and have not now received it a second time from the hand of the pastor. So love comes from you, but marriage from above, from God. As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the right, and the promise of love. It is not your love that sustains your marriage, but from now on, it is your marriage that sustains your love. See, marriage is much bigger than you are. It is a mirror designed to show the majesty of God. Singleness in the same way. If marriage was the idea of God, then singleness is as well. Right? It's God that brings the spouse, the husband, the wife. God is doing something in your life. God knows what we need. God understands our design. If we don't realize that, we're going to feel either if you're single, like second-class citizens. Oh, wait a second. What happened? Why? What happened to me? Was I not good enough? Was I not blah, 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 blah? Now, some of you may be single and you want to stay that way because you've been married before. Some of you may be married and you want to become single because you know how hard marriage is. The point I'm trying to make is this is God's doing, not ours. God has a plan. If you're married, marriage is not an accident. You know, I think of my relationship with Leo and what a blessing that has been to me. You know, I, I, I never, I couldn't have dreamed in a, a million years where I would be right now. But it wasn't an accident. You know, some people know, uh, younger folks, they come to me and say, how will you know when, you know, how did you know the Ellen was the right person for you? I say, it's simple. I married her. And because I married her, she's the right person. Because what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. See, marriage, my friends, is not the end all be all. It's an office. And at some day it will go away, right? Till death do us part. In heaven, there will be no marriage. The scriptures clearly say that. It's a temporary office. But it will not be in heaven. If you are a Christian, you are married. But you know what? If you are single, you're married too. What do you mean? See, if you're a Christian, you're married twice. You've been married to God, and you've been married to your spouse. If you're single, you've been married to God. At some time, your marriage to another person will dissolve. Will there be beauty to it? One is absolutely. But God, this is a picture, a shadow of a deeper reality. Because the scriptures say that he or she who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. One is temporary and one is eternal. To some, God says, I want to move you into the shadow of marriage here so you can see the reality. To some, God says, I want to start moving you right away into the reality. You know, we have a lot to learn from single people. 
Because they're focused on the divine. Focused on learning about God in a way that many of us can't. But when we get our eyes off of ourselves and move to God, then we can see the majesty of marriage and praise our maker. God's doing his marriage, but God's design is marriage as well. This is point number two. Now this one's really crucial. You've got to hear this. Number one, man and woman very clearly have the same equality. Look at Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So is man in the image of God? No. Is female in the image of God? No. Male and female is in the image of God. And not necessarily even they have to be married. Rather, there's something missing from man that is fulfilled by female, and there's something missing from female that is fulfilled by man. If the world was populated just by men, we would not have the image of God. It's both of them mirroring God. There is an equality in our nature. It's not only an equality, there's the same mandate. And God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and so on and so on. It's either the same equality, the same mandate. They're supposed to carry out the same purpose, but they have a different assignment. Notice the word I use, assignment, because it's not eternal, but it's something that has happened. You know, I don't know about you, but it becomes pretty patently obvious to me in a little while that men and women are not the same. I don't know. I don't know if you picked it up. It's true. I'm not talking just physiologically. I'm talking in every aspect. There is some sort of beautiful difference. There's an order to man and woman, isn't there? Man received the mandate first. The Lord God creates man, and he places him in the garden first. And indeed, he gives this, this command as he gives the dominion. You can eat from any tree you want, but do not eat from this tree, or you will die. Now, where's the woman? She hasn't even been created yet. But lo and behold, God creates the woman second. Now, this garden, this temple, okay, the garden is the temple. Spread my glory. But here's what doesn't make any sense. Did God not say when everything was created and it was very good? Remember, it wasn't just good, it was very good. There's completion. So how can it be not good if it was already very good? It can only mean this, that creation, all of what was necessary, was resident. For woman was resident in man. Resident, resident, is that right? Residing in man. All of creation, but it had not been fully activated, if you will. This woman who was in man had not been activated, kind of like the second stage, if you will, of that rocket. It's there, it hasn't been fired. But now it is time to bring woman in. Why? Because with man, we cannot fully see the splendor of God, but here's this, we can also not fully see the nature of God. God is inherently relational. He's Trinitarian. One God and three persons. In fact, we can't really understand who the Father is until we understand the Son. And we can't understand who the Son is until we understand the Father. It's in the nature of their relationship that we understand the fullness of God. 
And so God wants to show his nature, his relational nature, and so he creates woman. And in the nature of this relationship, we see who God is. Well, what do we see about this nature? First of all, that there is order. There's a father and a son, a son and a father. They're equal, Jesus and God, aren't they? But Jesus is subordinate to the Father in the sense that he says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. He is the word of God, the expression of God. What is in the mind of God is revealed when God speaks through his Son. A representation, if you will, of God. It's a beautiful picture in Proverbs 8.22 when we hear wisdom talking, Jesus as wisdom. The Lord brought me forth, this is Proverbs 8, as the first of his works, before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, meaning he's always been, from the beginning before the world began, when there were no oceans, when there were no springs, before there was dust in the fields, it was there where he set the heavens in place and where he fixed the clouds above. And I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day by day, rejoicing always in his presence. You know, there's something beautiful about seeing a father and a son, and a mother and a daughter, isn't there? There's a symmetry, there's a design to it. There's a love and a care. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that marriage is paternalistic or maternalistic like a father and a son, but we see a pattern within the relationship of man and woman. See, man is given leadership. He's given a task. He's given responsibility. In the fall, it was the man who blew it because he did not show leadership. He did not lead his wife. You know, who is blamed for the fall? You ever hear the curse of Eve? It's always the curse of Adam because Adam dropped the ball. He was supposed to lead and he didn't. But you know what? The woman dropped the ball as well. I will make a helper fit for him. A woman who has an assignment on this earth. Equal in value, different in assignment of responsibility. The reason God gave man a helper is because he needs help. Otherwise, you don't give him a helper. Okay? He has something he can't be and do what he is supposed to do. I will give him a helper, somebody fit for him. But what is this help that the man needs? He certainly needs companionship, right? It's not good that this man is alone. It's certain that he needs assistance. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Guy's not going to do that. Okay? Two people, two to tango with that one. He needs help with domesticating the earth. This earth that's out there that must be brought to control. The man and the woman doing it together. So this woman is to help him in his leadership. To serve him, to make him succeed. When he falls, to pick him up. When he succeeds, to rejoice in him. Someone to stand in the gap. With discernment and long-sufferingness and patience. But you see, in the fall, the woman blew it too, didn't she? Okay, the woman's supposed to be watching out, making sure that the leader is leading. He doesn't have to watch his back that much. He's looking forward. The woman is supposed to say, time out, watch the apple. You remember? No, no, no. Instead, she picks up the apple and eats it and gives it to him. 
She blew it. They blew it. And the fall came. See, the man needs this helper. He needs to listen to her. He needs to cherish her and value her. He needs to lay down his life for her. He needs to not take her for granted. He needs to not lead everyone else without leading his family and his wife first. And a woman needs the man to respect him and honor him, to strengthen him, to help him. He needs her and she needs him. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. And it says that man is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. See, there's a beautiful design. Now, we are talking in the context of marriage. Okay, we're not talking in context of men and women in general. Can a woman be a CEO? Absolutely. Best boss I ever had was a woman. Can a woman run for office and be president? Absolutely. There are only two things in terms of that a woman is not supposed to be. Number one, the leader of her house if there's a husband. The spiritual leader. I call my wife my COO. She's the chief operations officer. Okay, because she gets it done. You know? CEO takes care of the COO because otherwise the thing's going to fall apart. I help to provide leadership and vision. She helps to make it happen. But if I don't listen to my COO, look at the figures. That's right. I got to sell vision here, people. Forget the numbers. Right? No, no, no. We're talking in the context of marriage. The other place is in the role of a pastor elder. I think because it's such a shepherding type role. Does that mean women can't teach? No. We're talking about shepherd leadership in the function of marriage. See, truth be told, we see this out every day, don't we? We see this thing played out. Behind every good man, if married, is a good woman. Guarantee it. A woman can make or break a man. But not behind every good woman is a good man. In fact, I know plenty of good women who have horrible husbands. A woman seems to be more resilient, strong, able to maintain herself. Widows, do you know that when a man dies, excuse me, when a woman dies and a man is a widow, 30% more likely to die in terms of his age. 30%. You've seen it all the time. The woman goes, the man goes shortly thereafter. A woman's lifespan, not changed at all. There's a resiliency and a strength. The man needs the woman. The woman, not as much needs the man in terms of when that marriage stops. See, there's something going on. As I look at my marriage with, with Leal, I'll tell you this, when I get, she has the ability to say, watch out for that guy. I'm like, what? what what's wrong with the guy? She just knows Business deals, real estate deals. When I've done a bad deal, I didn't listen to my wife. I need her, and she needs me. See, it's not about us in the end. It's about God and His design. Women, if you are married, you have an assignment. But it's temporary to bear up with this person. You're no second-class citizen. 
You are in the glory, the image of God, and given a task. Jesus is your picture. You know, to say, wait a second, I'm, I'm giving this some supporter? It's to insult Jesus Christ, who delights to lift up God. It's an insult to him. And yet, men, you've been given an assignment. Women, by the way, if you give the man a crown, he's eventually going to grow into it. He may not grow into it right now, but if you put a crown on his head, he'll eventually grow into it. Men, you've been given an assignment. Jesus is your picture to care for this one, to lay down your life for her, to love her and cherish her and lead her and honor her and listen to her. And so you must serve, because to lead is to serve. It starts with your family and your kids. And for many of you men, your wife has been waiting for you to step up and to lead and to be the man that she hoped you would be, to be the spiritual leader. Singles, you have an assignment. You may want to be married, you may have been married, and you're not married right now. You have a marriage to focus on until if God gives you another one. Paul puts it this way as talking about singleness. I would like for you to be free from concern. By the way, did you know that Paul was single and he was a lifelong bachelor? And this is why. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way, undivided in devotion to the Lord. So singles, let me ask you a question. Are you dialed in? Are you dialed into this marriage that God has called you to? There is a longing in some of us. I want to be married. I want to. And you know what? God can very well grant that wish to you. But today, he hasn't. Now, I would just as much, you know, some, I'm just waving around for the Lord, you know, he's going to provide me. No, 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 no. Get in shape. Go out. Meet people. Okay, there's a difference between a, a guy, a farmer who, who prays for rain and who prays for rain and plants his fields. But God has a plan for you. And singleness for this time is part of it. And so you have the opportunity to understand and start living in the reality, not the shadow. And to teach people around you what it means to be married to Christ. And we need to see it. See, marriage is much bigger than us, and singleness is much bigger. Designed to show the majesty of God. And when we get our eyes off of ourselves and move to God, then we can see the majesty of marriage and praise our Creator. This leads me to my final point, which is that marriage shows the majesty of God. You know, in the end, what's marriage all going to be? If it's a temporary institution, that is going to go away. What is God trying to show us? Marriage ultimately is a picture of the covenant-keeping love between God and His people. It's a picture of the oneness that eventually we will all experience with each other and with God. And so everything in marriage is a picture of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. For we were alone, weren't we? Even worse, we had abandoned our God, our husband, 
And yet Christ came and found us. As we searched for a suitable helper, there was none to be found. But God brought us Jesus Christ, our own flesh and our own bone, so that we could acknowledge and recognize this one that God has given to us. Creation did not recognize Him, but Christ wooed us. He paid the price for our dowry with His very blood. And He brought us to Himself. He gave us a new name. You're a holy priesthood. A new person. A new creation in Christ. He made us one flesh with Him. He transformed us. Colossians 2.13 puts it this way. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. When you were, God made alive. You with Him, having canceled all your trespasses. Christ is your life. And when He appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. See, we have been united with the Lord in spirit. And by faith, we're growing in this relationship. And it will be consummated when we fully see Him as we're supposed to. And so my encouragement to you, wherever you're at in your situation, whether married or not, is to not look to marriage, but to look through marriage. To see the majesty of God who will never leave us or forsake us. Who gives us all we ever need. Companionship and love and care and leadership and service and nurturing. And we never should lose hope. Because if you are a Christian, you're already married. You're married to the Lord and He will never break that marriage. He will serve us as He did, even to the point of dying for us. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and move them to God, then we can see the majesty of God in marriage and praise. Let us pray. What a beautiful picture of your design. Greater than the egg, greater than the hummingbird, mysterious, beautiful, ethereal even. Lord, we pray that as we look at marriage, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're frustrated with our marriage, whether we're enjoying it, that we would look through marriage to see who you are and what you've done in our lives. Lord, help us to fulfill our assignment, whether serving and leading by submitting or leading by serving, whether by being wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord or being devoted to the Lord and to our spouse. And we look forward to the day when our marriage with you will be consummated and where the oneness that some of us are able to experience in marriage will disappear as we all will be one, knowing each other, loving each other, being together as God's family. We pray all of this in Christ's name.